Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. We are sponsored by the EPL Prospectus, a 280-page guide of the upcoming season created by a team of 25-plus writers and designers. Moneyball for football, analytics plus eye candy, available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Today, we are joined by the hardest-working soccer analyst, Harshal Patel. Also on the pod is Sam, my trusted brother, Brotherton, a professional center back for North Carolina FC. I'm host Chris Mumford, known as the Professor, Bella Chow. In week four, we see the season unfolding with several surprises, even some hot messes. We break down the Liverpool-Arsenal game along with notable matches including Leeds, Man City, Arsenal, and Sheffield United, and Man U and Tottenham. And we're going to reflect on what we're going to be looking for during the international break. Harshal, why don't we go ahead and get started with that Arsenal-Liverpool match? What can we talk about? There's so much that's happened since then, uh, but there were a couple of key features. What, do you, what was your take on that? And I'd love to hear what Sam's take is. Yeah, I mean, as you said, there's so much that's happened since that game that it, it feels like it was ages ago, but it's only been about five or six days. But um, in terms of that game, I thought, uh, again, Liverpool are showing why they're gonna still going to be the team to beat this season. Um, they've strengthened considerably in terms of uh, the players they've brought in, and um, they they to the extent that I mean they're probably not going to have Sadio Mane for for maybe a couple of weeks or so because he's tested positive for COVID. But you've got Diogo Jota coming in, who's just been who's they signed from Wolves and looks like he's settled in pretty well, and. Um, they, they were, again, clinical against Arsenal, but I thought that uh, Arsenal did well in terms of sticking to the the game plan and the strategy that Arteta wants them to use. And he's, he's been using that um, sort of tactical system regardless of the teams they're playing against. So they've, they've been playing out from the back whether it's a Liverpool or whether it's a Fulham, for example. And Liverpool are one of the best pressing teams in Europe, probably in the world. But you still saw Arsenal stay committed to playing out from the back um, and build up from the back. And we saw that in their, in the goal that they scored as well. So, all I mean, from an Arsenal fan's point of view, I mean, obviously the result didn't go their way. But I think the process is more important than the result in games like this. Not that, I mean, that they don't want to win. They need to win as many as they can to get into the top four this season. But um, in games against the likes of City and uh, and against Liverpool, it's really refreshing to see that Arteta has enough faith in his system and in the players that he's putting out on the pitch to then tell them that, you know what, I know we're facing Liverpool, but I still want us to build out from the back even though they're pressing and be good enough to get around their press and get the ball up the pitch where we could potentially have them you know, outnumbered and then score a goal, which is what happened. Good, good. Sam, do you, do you agree with that perspective? Do you have any other thoughts on it? No, I agree. I mean, I thought Liverpool were imperious. As Hako said, they kind of back to their best. Um, the new signings seem to be putting in really well. Obviously, Jota getting off the mark was, was huge. But yeah, fair play to Arteta. I think um, it's really interesting how they set up with their goalkeeper. The centre-backs are so close to them. They really try and suck the opposition in and 
it works in their way sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Obviously, um, Liverpool had a few turnovers and they won the ball half the field, which which caused them to some success. But also when Arsenal were able to play play through the press and they had a, a lot of space um, in behind the lines and that led to the goal, like Harshal said. So, yeah, I thought it was a good game. I think Liverpool really showed. Um, they're still sitting the benchmark this season, but Arsenal fans have kind of something to be to be uh, positive about. Yeah, I, I, you know, I want to give, I want to show some love to the goalkeepers there. Um, that could have easily been a five-one game if Leno was not on. Um, equally speaking, if Allison wasn't on, that could have been a three-three match as well. So kudos to some individual play by both of the keepers. I, you know, I think the the general consensus is, all right, Arsenal is making progress. You know, they're they're standing for something clear. That's good. The the personnel are starting to match what that philosophy of play is, you know, hats off to that. Now the question becomes, can they be win consistently week in and week out where they can be a top four team? They're certainly not going to be a contender, but I don't think that's what anybody's expectations. And I think Arteta has done enough where his runway is going to be sufficiently long enough where the inevitable bumps, he's going to have a little extra um, runway to get the plane off, off the tarmac. So let's turn our attention to the Leeds-Man City game. Uh, Harshal, help us unpack that one. Yeah, I mean, I said last week that this was probably the game I was looking forward to most for this weekend, and it did not disappoint, even though it was just a one-all scoreline. But that was an absolutely brilliant game of football. It was, um, it was fast, it was energetic, it was played at a really high tempo, and both teams had, you know, Bag full a lot of chances. I mean, it's not that Leeds didn't have their chances. Leeds had three or four. I can rem- clearly remember three or four really good chances um, to score the second goal or maybe a third goal and win the game. And it was the same for City as well. And uh, it just showed that uh, these two. I mean, we all know about Pep Guardiola, but Marcelo Bielsa is absolutely brilliant in terms of setting up teams to attack and uh, to retain the ball. Is pressing the way uh, the fact that Leeds were able to press Manchester City with the ball back in City's half a few times and then set up attacks tells you how good their pressing structures are. Because I mean, pressing is not just about sending four or five players upfield and running madly around the ball trying to retrieve it. It's also about it's mainly about actually what you're doing off the ball in terms of who's um, in terms of setting up traps for players to play into for you to retrieve the ball from. It's, it's in terms of passing lanes that you're blocking. And Leeds were brilliant at that. City, uh, I thought City controlled most of the first half. Their Leeds were a little unsure and uh, City had a few chances. They scored the opening goals with Sterling and they were threatening a lot more. But then um, we saw a lot more of the positional rotations that Leeds used come into play. At one point, I could see uh, Calvin Phillips as the right-sided centre-half. He was dropping in from the defensive midfield role. Ailing was pushing on, he's, and then uh, Phillips was getting on the ball a lot more and then playing out a diagonal out to save, uh, uh, I think it was Stuart Dallas at left back. So, that those positional rotations came into play. Uh, Bielsa made a change, brought Rodrigo on in the second half. He got the goal and he uh, got Edison to make a really good fingertip save onto the bar. Otherwise, they would have been up to one So, all in all, I think it was a brilliant game. And uh, Leeds, I, I, I said this earlier as well, I, I really don't think they're going to be in relegation trouble unless they run out physically, unless they sort of uh, have a bit of a physical drop-off in terms of their output, maybe two-thirds of the way through the season, which is a bit of a trend with the Elsa team. So, that's something to watch out for. But other than that, if they keep playing this way, 
solid mid-table, definitely. Sam, how about, how about your take? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Leeds have just been so entertaining to watch. Um, I didn't see much of them in the champions here, but I mean, I think they've been what you've, uh, uh, what we've expected, what we've all kind of heard of. Um, super high energy, kind of, I've been really impressed. Like, they're relentless, you know. Um, Sterling, Sterling, sorry, he started the game off really well up against Luke Ayling, and you thought maybe Leeds are in for a long day here, but the way that the character they seem to have in the team and uh, they're just so rigid to their style of play and Bielsa's obviously coaching them very well. Um, they know what they're doing. They stick to it and they believe in it. And it's obviously getting them results. Um, they've scored a lot of goals. I think defensively, it's going to be interesting. It feels like they're almost just trying to outscore other teams, which is an entertaining way to play and an entertaining for people to watch. So, yeah, I think like uh, like Harshal said, I think they're going to be a good team this year. I don't think they'll be in relegation trouble. Um, and, yeah, they're going to excite a lot of people. Man City, on the other hand, I think, are dropping points already, which is is interesting considering I think a lot of people after the business they've done had kind of had them maybe up up close to Liverpool. Um, but I really think that that gap is still there, um, especially after the weekend results. So it's going to be interesting to see who can really challenge Liverpool this season. So I will tell you, I think this might have been the most exciting one-one match I've watched in years. Uh, and I got to tell you, I was a Bielsa skeptic. You know, I, I thought he had done uh, well uh, in unique circumstances. But the fact is, is that that 4-1-4-1, uh, he, that Leeds team outpossessed Man City. Let me say that again. That Leeds team outpossessed Man City. And that's after outpossessing Liverpool. Now, I know that's a style of play. I get that. But if it weren't for Ederson, that could have easily been a 3-1 game. Ederson had four, what I consider, first-rate, one borderline magnificent save. And uh, Leeds created more opportunities. Uh, and I just, the first 25 minutes or so, you, Leeds were like, oh my, we're playing Man City. This is real. And it took them a little while to find their footing. But for the second half of that, the first half, or second part of the first half, and then for the first part of the second half, Leeds was rocking it out. And so I am a, I, I'm amazed that Bielsa can take average or above average players on paper and turn them into uh, legit winners against top tier teams. Now, whether they can weather the whole season, uh, and and beat beat the middle and low, lower league teams, which they might actually even be better served to do, given their experiences in the championship. But I want everybody to realize that Leeds may run out of steam, but the championship, they play 46 games in a season. So Leeds is actually probably going to play the same number, if not fewer, than it did last last season. So I just, I cannot get over how much I enjoyed this I'm, I must admit, I'm, I'm going to be watching Leeds a lot more given what has happened. And, you know, if, if you were Bielsa and you see, uh, I'm sorry, you've got to play Liverpool and then you've got to play Man City in the first few games that you come, that's nuts. But he, is, he has done so well. So I'm going to stop talking about that. I really enjoyed the match. Um, let's kind of swing back to the, the Arsenal n narrative as well as the Sheffield United, which Sheffield United has struggled. Um, help us break that down a little bit, um, Harshel. Yeah, I mean, four games without a win. Four, uh, they, they scored their first goal of the season 
in their fourth game and still lost. They lost 2-1 today. So, uh, I mean, it, it was... They were good defensively, to be honest. I thought, I thought uh, Sheffield United were pretty good defensively today, in the first half at least. But they didn't really have an at- attacking threat. And uh, that's been the case for ho- the whole of this season, like the four games or so we've had this season. And it, w- and it was a problem for them last season as well. They scored, I think, 38 goals last season. 35 or 38 goals, I can't remember exactly. Which is a really low, low number anyway. I mean, they, they managed to do as well as they did last season on the back of their defensive um, showings. So, they have managed to, I mean, they have tried to sort of remedy that. They've made, obviously, they've broken their club transfer record again. They've signed Rian Brewster from Liverpool. But you've got to remember, he's, what, 20 years old and he's completely unproven at the prem, at like the top level. He did well for Swansea in the championship last season. But obviously, the prem, as we all know, the Premier League is a completely different kettle of fish. So, whether Brewster alone will be able to galvanize their attack and get them to score goals, the goals that they need to be, to be able to get away from relegation trouble this season, I don't know. But I'd still say, as you as we said at the beginning of the podcast, that it's four games. So, I mean, it's still too early to draw long-term conclusions for the rest of the season. But it is a bit worrying for Sheffield United that they've, they've not really scored too many and barely scored any goals, to be honest. And... They're struggling defensively. So, one thing, I mean, it's basically the fact, the fact that something that was a weakness is still a weakness. But the thing that was their strength is also failing them now. And we talk about second season syndrome in the Premier League. And I hope that doesn't hit Sheffield United this season. So, let me ask you this, Arshel. I mean, Arsenal had possession for 64% of the time. Uh, right. Arsenal had five shots on goal. Sheffield United had two, right? So... Clearly, they're hoping they're going to hope that Brewster can kind of fix that problem. But in terms of possession, a lot of times Arsenal is likes to sit back. I'm actually a little surprised that Sheffield had such a low percentage of possession. And any reflections on that? No, I mean that's because Sheffield United aren't your typical possession-oriented team in the sense that I'm not saying that they're a long ball team or a team that really like to play direct but at the they 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 not they don't have the, the players or they I mean I wouldn't say they don't have the players but they don't have the system to retain possession to the extent that city liverpool even arsenal do right it's it's more about when they do have the ball they try to get it forward quickly down the flanks and how they do that is by trying to build overloads through their overlapping center halves and then they have the wing back and and the the ball side so midfielder moving over as well to form a triangle, three players, maybe even four, if the striker on that side drops into that side to create an overload and then send the ball across to the other flank where they might have been able to isolate a player one-on-one, for example. So, it's it's a system that's designed on getting the ball forwards quickly. But, it, I mean, you do need to have the players uh, be absolutely 100% drilled and uh, to know their roles uh, you know, down to a T because it is a bit of a unique system. So, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's just that I think they've, they've, they've uh, I wouldn't say they're struggling with the Premier League because obviously it's the second season, but it looks like they need a bit of refreshment in terms of the squad. Uh, as I said, they didn't have too many goal-scoring players last season, so Brewster hopefully does change that, and some of the players might be. You know, they, they played out of their skins last season, so they might be regressing to the mean a little bit. So, 
there might be a case of that sort of thing happening. So Sam, uh, help me understand this. I'm pretty certain you haven't been on a team that's lost its first four matches uh, in a season because uh, that's not the way you roll. Um, but when do players in the locker room start thinking, wow, this might be like the real deal here? I mean, what, what, what do you think the mindset is, is as of the players there? Yeah, it's tough to say. Um, I think they, they'll still remember the amazing season they had last year, and I would, would like to think they still have confidence in themselves. Um, I think it's different for different players, obviously, goal scorers, um, which is obviously, like Hasha said, a big big issue on the side of the moment, kind of uh, maybe lose their confidence in front of a goal if they go a few games without scoring. But I think the, the thing with football is it only takes one goal or one game to kind of reverse those fortunes. So, um, it could could be next week that they have a, a great performance, a great win, and they're kind of back on track. I think, for me, I think the clean sheets will come. I think they're organized, a solid team, and I think they can get back to that. It's it's really the, the bigger question is kind of where those goals are going to come from. Um, I think they had a lot of goals in kind of production for their wing backs and, and midfielders last season, so it could really help them to get a, a striker in that can can score uh, ten double figures goals for a season. I don't know if Green Brewster is that guy. Like Kasha said, he's very young. He's unproven in the Premier League. I mean, he's a, obviously a huge talent. So time will tell kind of whether he can help them out in, in that department. But, um, yeah, I think it's a long season. And they're obviously disappointed with the start they've had. But I think they won't be giving up hope uh, anytime soon. Right, right. Okay. Well, and Arsenal picks up a 2-1 win, right? Pretty pedestrian. Good good that way. Um, so they're, they're taking business and, and, and staying true to their mission. So earlier I'd mentioned hot mess. And, uh, you know, I think that I'm going to, Harshel, I'm going to give you a nice runway. Uh, and if, if, if you go, if you go too, uh, too deep, we're going to, we're going to hit the defibrillator and, uh, and, and hit the pause button there. So, uh, Harshel, walk us through how this game transpired. Yeah. And I'll just, uh, preface this by saying that we should also be talking about Aston Villa in Everton in a bit because they've had really good and we'll starts get, to the season we'll get around so we'll get that. to them as well good for point. everybody else who's listening in and hoping and wondering why we haven't spoken about them yet but yeah, yeah I mean the United Spurs game is going to dominate everything All the, it's already dominating Twitter and everywhere else and uh, as a United fan I'm happy that we're recording this after, about half an hour or so after the game finished because I was absolutely seething. I don't think I've been this angry during a football game for years. Probably the last time was the 6-1 that United lost against City in 2011, I guess it was, yeah. But for this game, I mean, yes, obviously the red card happened and United were down to 10 men, which does definitely affect how you how you uh, set up against uh, the opposition. But what was a problem for me was the fact that we've had we saw huge individual mistakes. I mean, you had Harry for the first goal for, for the first goal that Spurs scored to win Dombele, You you had Harry Maguire literally manhandling his own player Luke Shaw off the ball when he's trying to uh, head it away, which then gave Ndombele the opening to to score from. So that was a mistake there. Shaw himself for the for the uh, I think it was the fourth goal or the fifth goal I can't even remember in terms of I think it was the fifth goal yeah the one where so he was playing as if he's the centre back he's he was abs- he was infield he was between Maguire and Bai which gave Aurier the, the the freedom of the right flank to get the ball into the box and then Son scored uh, through uh, De Gea's legs 
uh, by for the for Spurs third goal gave the ball away in his own penalty area. I mean, United were trying to pass out from the back there, but that pass to Matic when he's got two players converging on him was absolutely not open. So he gave the ball away there. It was a bit of I mean, and in general, what I didn't understand was after going a man down and you are uh, a goal down as well. Why were United still pressing up, and they were still trying to Harry Tottenham, and they were still trying to play a high line when all you need, the, the need of the hour at that point was to drop back twenty yards, get into two banks of four, and stay compact, and then try and hit Spurs on the counter. You still had uh, Rashford and Greenwood uh, on the pitch who could provide that pace. You still had Pogba on the pitch who could hit those balls out to those guys, um, but United still continued to press, and that just created. Opened up huge amounts of space every time for Spurs. So, as much as obviously the the, the red card did change the game, but it just told me that the, the it's it's not there in terms of the coaching, in terms of the structure, in terms of the tactics that the players are asked to uh, go out and and try and uh, replicate. It's not there for me. The substitutions were a bit baffling as well. I mean, uh, at halftime, why would you take off? Fernandez instead of Pogba. Pogba is not someone who's going to give you a defensive shift at the best of times when there are eleven people on the pitch. So what's the point of leaving him on when there are ten people on the pitch? And he did give away the penalty for the sixth goal, that Spurs score. He was the one who sort of slid in and uh, gave the penalty away. So a lot of baffling decision making, individual errors, and uh, as much as I mean, I'm not saying I, I don't really. Want to get on the whole Ole out brigade or whatever, but I've never been a, 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 a huge fan of Ole in terms of his ability to coach a team, and that's coming through in the start of this season. United have conceded 11 goals in three games, and that's not good. And I mean, yes, we played Spurs today, but you conceded three goals to Brighton, so and who hit Damn. who hit the bar five times, so. So Sam, uh, I, I know that uh, you are a bit partial to uh, defenses. <laughs> help us, help us justify Man U's defense right now. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, like Hasha said, there's a lot of individual errors, but I think also as a team they just look a, a little lost right now. Um, it's hard to kind of know their identity, and I think um, yeah, the the players are just kind of. Low on confidence, it looks like. Um, there's kind of a lack of a lack of leadership, a lack of direction. So yeah, it's interesting to see, to see where they, where they go from here. Um, like Kasha said, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's got to be under some pressure, um, and it's going to take a lot to turn the ship around. At this point, I think they're talking about bringing in Cavani, but I really don't think that's the area of the field where they're they're in need at the moment. I think they have exciting attacking players. So yeah, it's kind of the other end of the the picture needs to be to be uh, rectified. Right. Yeah. No. My take is is uh, it's a brilliant commercial signing. You could sell a lot of jerseys, mm-hmm. but uh, unless Calvani plays center back, which I don't recall looking at his uh, his bio where he's done a whole lot of that, except for maybe when he was thirteen or fourteen years old. But um, I, I want to kind of balance the conversation a little bit, and and shall we give a shout out to Tottenham? You know, their yeah, questions were being asked. Uh, you know, Harry Kane, who I still wonder, and I'm embarrassed to say this and sorry to the Tottenham fans, I still wonder how someone with Harry Kane's physique, uh, you know, he gets he gets a, a hat trick. And yes, it was a penalty assisted hat trick, but three goals is still three goals in my book. And Sun got two. Um, uh, Serge got one. 
And, uh, and uh, Harry Kane didn't get the hat trick. He got two goals, I think. Uh, I think he got one in the 30th minute, the 79th, and he got the pen, the penalty for the third. Then, then uh, maybe the I'm messing up, but anyway, um, there's so many scored, you can't really. Well, and, and here's the thing, guys. We were talking about in the past podcast that this was going to be a messy season. If you told me that Man City was going to give up five goals one week and Man United six goals the next week, I would have said you're nuts. I would have been happy because that's some really interesting drama. Uh, but 11 goals is crazy. And Tottenham's got to be feeling great. Mourinho, who had, was clearly under some pressure. Ndombele, who's they're still trying to figure out how he fits. Looks like at least he's on the score sheet. So there's some good, good stories to tell on that account. And, you know, I, I'm for the script writers of the English Premier League, I'm loving them because uh, there's some real interesting storylines that are coming to here, coming together. Here. Yeah, just to quickly build on what you said, Spurs definitely, definitely deserve credit. I mean, because almost all of the focus on social media today and for the next couple of days or weeks or whatever is going to be on how United imploded, which is true. But Spurs played really well because Mourinho set up Spurs perfectly to, to play against United. The pressing, I mean... Um, Yes, United were down to 10 men, but the way uh, uh, the, the Spurs players were pressing United and the pressing traps that were being set up, which I spoke about earlier as well, they work perfectly. Um, you've got Son, who's, uh, who's uh, always a willing runner in behind, and then you've got Kane dropping off and playing those passes to him. That worked out brilliantly. And again, that worked because of the gap between United's midfield and defence. But Mourinho knew that and he exploited that. So, he, he, I, th- I thought he set up the team perfectly in terms of how to play against this particular United team and how they play. And obviously, the red card went uh, in their favour and then uh, uh, the way United played obviously wasn't really great. But a lot of credit to Spurs. They they, they showed that they, their recruitment has, has been done well. Poitier uh, looks like a good player to sit in front of the defence and sort of clear that area out for the other guys to go upfield. And... Kane and Son are just killing it up front. And then you've obviously still got Harry, uh, Gareth Bale to come into the team. So Spurs do look in really good shape at the moment. Well, if you told me that Man United was going to be in 16th place with three points after three games, I would have said no way, right? So um, going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, earlier, uh, we talked about... Um, uh, hot messes. I actually think that Aston Villa and Everton are glad not to be associated with the hot mess category, uh, where they're just cranking right along. Everton is in first place with 12 points with four matches. Uh, Sam, you got any thoughts on on how Everton's playing overall? Yeah, I mean they've been they've been amazing to be fair to them. Um, I think their recruitment has been been great, but I also think they've they're showing signs they managed by a really, really top coach and Ancelotti. They're super organized. Um, they look like they know what they're doing and their front three is is uh, producing the goods. And as Rodriguez obviously fitted seamlessly into the Premier League and kind of, I think everyone knows his quality, but he's really um, been producing and assisting goals. And then Calvert-Lewin is just like unstoppable right now. It seems like uh, everything he touches is turning into a goal. So, yeah, I mean, they're a good side. Um, I think they've got harder fixtures to come and it'll be kind of interesting to see how, how they can maintain that consistency over the course of the season, especially you wouldn't expect kind of Calvert-Lewin to keep scoring at this rate. 
But um, I mean, I've been impressed with them. I think the midfield is looking really solid. Um, the back four, I think the Seamus Coleman is is always steady. Um, the centre backs are looking looking good. Michael Keane, I think, is is doing well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how they progress over the course of the season and whether they can, can keep it up. I think you bring up a great point. Uh, their their upcoming schedule, they're going to have to go uh, cross town and 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 play that team in red called Liverpool. They've got Southampton, Newcastle, but then they have Man United. Uh, we just don't know which Man United they're going to be playing uh, at that point. Um, Harshell, any other thoughts on Everton? Oh, most of what Sam said, I, I mean, absolutely agree with all of that. They've been, I wouldn't say they've been the surprise of the season, but I don't think anybody expected them to start the season as well as they've, as they've done, right? I mean, they've, they've obviously won all four games top of the table. The new signings have integrated brilliantly. Ames Rodriguez is lighting up the Premier League. Uh, you've got Allen and uh, Ducore doing really well in midfield. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has turned into an absolutely brilliant poacher. He's carried on from where he left off last season, but even better, I think. And uh, the defence is also looking pretty solid. Although, I, I mean, I would maybe question some of the individuals there in terms of, I don't think, for example, Yeri Mina is a really solid defender, but Ancelotti seems to be getting the rest out of him. I think there are question marks about the keeper. Pickford did make a couple of errors uh, in the game which, uh, on the weekend. But uh, other than that, I think they've, they've, Ancelotti's really done a good job at, at Goodison Park. I mean, I think that's putting it mildly. They've done a, he's done a fantastic job so far. And the, the good part is that once the international break gets done, the, Everton's next game is the Merseyside derby against Liverpool. And I think that that is going to be a really, really good game. It, it probably will be one of the most competitive Merseyside derbies we've seen in years. Right. So um, I want to talk about that other powerhouse, Aston Villa. Uh, <laughs> how can they be in second place? And uh, at the time of this recording, they're up 2-0 against Liverpool right yep. now. Um, exactly. Sam, any, any reflections on Aston Villa? Any thoughts on... Wait a minute. Weren't these guys in another league last year? And how did this happen? They were a Premier League team last year, but I think um, them just just narrowly avoiding relegation kind of obviously helped. Um, kind of having that Premier League experience under their belt, I think, is invaluable. Um, when you have a player like Jack Grealish, he can kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck and and produce. Um, I think for them, though, kind of getting a, a more solid team, a more consistent back four, and um, kind of producing clean sheets and uh, improving their defensive record is going to be key to them kind of continuing their form, which obviously has been great to start this season. Um, but yeah, I don't, it's hard to say how, uh, how it's going to end. It's a head scratcher. I mean, they were, in my mind, they were a different league because they were relegation bound, it seemed to me, until the last days. Now they're number two. Harshell, how, how does that transformation happen? I mean, it's not like they're, they've played some decent competition in the first few matches. Yeah? Yeah. Um, it's also a case of them getting their recruitment right. They did spend a lot of money last year as well. But uh, I'd argue that not a lot of the players that they brought in last summer, I mean, I don't think a lot of them were successful. Whereas you look at the players they've brought in this summer, they've got a new goalkeeper in, in Emiliano Martinez who did really well for Arsenal when Leno was injured during the restart. They brought him in and he's been really solid for them. Uh, Ollie Watkins was one of the hottest strikers in the championship. I think he finished uh, second in the championship scoring charts behind uh, Mitrovic. So, 
he's come in and he's hit the ground running. He's he's the guy. He scored a brace against Liverpool today, as we speak. So they've got their striker in, which was a problem position for them last summer because they signed Wesley. He got injured, um, and they didn't really have anybody else. They signed Wana uh, Samata in in January, and he didn't work out. And he, they've already sold him to Fenerbahce. So they've got the striker position sorted out. They've signed Jack Grealish to a new five-year contract. So he's settled. He's the captain, and uh, he's absolutely the sort of uh, the, the glue that holds the team together in that sense in the dressing room and on the pitch. But they've got him some help as well, right? They've got Ross Barkley in on loan from Chelsea. So they've done their recruitment, I think, really well. Burton Traore has come in from Olympic Lyon. That's a Champions League level club and he's coming in playing for Aston Villa. So uh, I think Dean Smith's got a, a better quality of player to work with now. And the existing players he has, he's obviously improved them uh, having worked with them for uh, last season as well and uh, whatever uh, you know the work that they've done on the training ground ahead of the uh, start of this season so it's 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 looking good for villa but as sam said it's it's still early days you can't really say too much about whether they'll they could potentially get dragged back into a relegation battle but they've started off really well and, and i think their recruitment has a lot to do with that how about let's turn our attention to to Leicester city uh, you know they're they're sitting at third in the table right now uh, they've been able to collect nine points in uh, in four matches. Sam, any any thoughts on how um, Leicester has been able to tighten up their defense? Because we know that we know the the offensive narrative, right? Uh, it's five letters. It's Vardy um, and, and some brilliant passing to Vardy. I don't want to take away from their midfield, but ha- they've been able to shore up the defense. Help us unpack those that uh, what's going on at Leicester. Yeah, I mean, Leicester are a good team. I think they've kind of proved that over a, a number of years now. Um, I think they're another team that just seems to recruit really, really well. Um, they obviously lost Chilwell to Chelsea, but just to, I'm not sure how to say his name, honestly. Castagne, um, the Italian uh, fullback is coming, and he's, he's obviously uh, fed in seamlessly into the team. I mean, they lost uh, 3-0 this week into West Ham, so I don't think they're a kind of consistent uh, product that you always know what you're getting, but I think they're capable of beating anyone on their day in the Premier League. Um, as you say, Vardy's always a goal for it. He's going to score goals over the course of the season. They've got really talented players like uh, Tielmans and Madison in the midfield, and I think Brendan Rodgers is another great coach, so I think they're going to be another another team kind of fighting for that top four, top six this season. So, uh, yeah, kind of more of the same for them, if I'm going to be honest. So, Harshell, will Leicester be able to overcome the consistency issues and 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 miss the West Ham banana peels, um, or um, is that kind of where they're going to be, given that what they can spend on personnel? I think it's the same thing that we saw for most of this calendar year. As in 2020, we've seen Leicester be very inconsistent. They had a brilliant run um, towards the beginning and the uh, towards the sort of first three, four months of last season, which is essentially why they were in the top four for as long as they were. And then they sort of dropped and sort of fell out of the top four towards the end of last season. But that was on the back of that brilliant run that they put through. But that inconsistency has also come from the fact that they've had a lot of injuries and that is happening at the moment as well. They've lost Wilfred and Didi again in midfield. They don't have Ricardo Pereira. They've obviously lost Ben Chilwell to, to, uh, to Chelsea. So their starting left back has gone as well. Um, and they've brought in new players, but they, those guys will take time to adjust. They've got Fofana uh, in from, I think it's uh, Leon, uh, as who's going to be, who will probably be one of their starting centre backs in the near future. Uh, Shengi Zunder has come in from Roma on a loan, but uh, 
he's a winger, so they did need some attacking threat because everything was going uh, through Madison and Vardy and Avi Barnes on the left. So they needed someone to pick up uh, the slack on the right hand flank. But I think it will still be inconsistent for them because uh, regular players are injured. The new guys who've come in will take time to adapt. And as you said, this season especially is going to be a step, is going to be a messy one because three seasons have been short or non-existent, and teams haven't really had a chance to train too much. And we have a lot of games in a very short span of time. So I think it's it is going to be an inconsistent season overall for Leicester. If not throughout the season, I, I can't see them sort of putting together a good run of, say, wins or so anytime soon. But yeah, they do have the talent and they do have a really good coach in Brendan Rodgers, as we saw in the game against City. So uh, I'd expect them to do well. And again, depends on how other teams do as to whether they'll be able to get into the top four. But definitely Europa League contenders and maybe maybe more. So I, I guess another team that's happy not to be in the hot mess category that has been under scrutiny lately has been Chelsea. Um, where for the most part, they kind of did what they were supposed to do this week um, and they won, you know. Um, so for the first uh, four matches or so, they were able, they tied Brighton uh, um, uh, and uh, I guess they, let's see, they, they beat Brighton uh, and they lost against Liverpool. Um, they really haven't done a whole lot in terms of um, – making a case that they should be in the top four yet, but they haven't screwed things up so much that they can't be in the top four. Is that a fair way to, to categorize that, Harshal? Yeah, and again, four matches into the season, too early to say. But I will say that Lampard looks like he's having trouble figuring out where all this attacking talent that he's been given plays and how he plays them. Kai Havertz... He's begun to use him in a central role now. He was playing him on the right in the first two, three games. He's playing him as a number 10 now. But uh, he, he, we've seen Timo Werner used as a lone striker. We've seen him used as a left winger. We've seen him used as part of a front two. And he's yet to score a goal So in, in English football. So that, I think, still needs to be worked out in terms of the chemistry between the players. Hakim Ziyech hasn't made his debut yet. Pulisic... Um, came on as a substitute in the game at the weekend, but uh, because he's been injured. So, and then you obviously have the issues at the back, which haven't gone away. Right? They're, they're still conceding too many goals, and they're, they're still having defensive errors. And uh, they have recruited in that area, but I mean, Thiago Silva is 38, so he does bring experience and leadership, but he may not be sort of at his physical best to be able to cope with the Premier League. So, so it's. Yeah, sorry, go Sam. On. Uh, what's your take? Have, have, are they doing? Are they doing enough? Um, or do you know of any really good center backs that could help them? <laughs> um, but uh, have they really spent the the attention and money to fix their biggest problem? I mean, I I think they have a super talented squad. There's no doubt about that. Um, they've got a lot of good players. I think as a player, you need to be consistently playing with um, similar players around you. You want to kind of know who's going to be next to you and you want to form those relationships on the field. And I think yeah. Lampard at the moment is having a really tough time picking his 11. Um, I don't think he knows who his best team is. I think he's got a lot of attacking talent on the pitch that is going to be tough to kind of keep them all happy and play them all in their preferred positions. And then 
the back four seems to change every single week. I think Chilwell is going to come in at left back, and I think he's going to be an upgrade on Alonso. Um, I don't know who the first choice center back pairing is. I don't think Lampard knows, and I think that's unsettling as a player when you're in and out of the team. So um, I think there's a long way to go, and I think they'll figure it out eventually, but I think it's kind of going to be another season where they're probably not going to be uh, at the very top because they're still figuring a lot of things out. Well, good. Well, so let's turn our attention uh, to, you know, we've got a basically a two-week international break coming on, and I think we're going to have some interesting fixtures. I think before the we started the podcast, I was complaining that I don't like international breaks just because I feel like we're just getting into a, a Premier League rhythm, but it is what it is. Um, Harshel, what are... What are some of the things that have really kind of struck out in your mind in the net in the last four weeks? Um, some takeaways. More of, I mean, what we spoke about last week, that it's going to be a very messy season. You're going, I think you're going to have some freak results like the 5-2 that uh, City lost against Leicester last week, the 6-1 today. Uh, Liverpool at the moment, 2-1 down. They've got a goal back, but they're still 2-1 down to Villa. Because... It's 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 a short season. It's it's compressed to a, like a lot of matches into a really short span of time. Coaches haven't had a lot of time to work with their players. The transfer window is still open, so new players are still coming in, and then they'll have to acclimatize to to the club and to to the style of play and all of that. So, just with everything going around, the fact that I mean, teams could lose players because of COVID tests, as we've seen with Liverpool and Mane and and Thiago, for example. So. Just with everything that's going around, it's going to be a messy season. So, I think for any like in general, I think all of us are, who, who look at football and try to analyze it, we, we like to uh, try and draw conclusions from from maybe small sample sizes or maybe one at times maybe two two few instances to try and draw out a long term trend. And I think that's going to be especially wrong to do this season. I think we need a lot more time and a lot more matches to happen before we can start to draw long-term conclusions on how this season is going to go and obviously beyond. So, I mean, for all Everton fans who think that maybe, you know, this could be their year in terms of winning the title or even getting into the top four, it's too soon. Some of the teams are going to come back, some teams may fall off. So, my takeaway in that sense is just to hold your horses in terms of, and I say this as a United fan after the 6-1 game, that you need to hold your horses if you're analyzing anything right now and wait for more evidence to come in before making a definitive statement or even trying to plot where your team is going to end up this season. How about you, Sam? What's your, what can you conclude given that we've gone through 13% of the season so far? Yeah, I mean, I can completely agree with Harshal. I think the sample size is, is small right now. I think you can conclude that it's it's going to be an interesting season. I think there's... Um, probably a shorter distance between the best team and the worst team in the Premier League this season. I think there's going to be a lot of close games and a lot of upsets. And part of that is to do with the, the scheduling and the, um, the kind of intensity of the season. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's tough to take too many predictions right now um, and see who's going who's gonna to kind of be at the, the top and the bottom of the table. But yeah, I think it's going to be a fun, fun season. I think it's going to be entertaining. I think there's going to be a lot of good, close, and competitive games. That yeah. said, though, sorry, not, not to interrupt. That said, I think I can make one prediction for sure that Fulham are going to get relegated. <laughs> I think I can make that prediction pretty safely. No offense to any Fulham fans. 
and so anybody else uh, in terms of who's who support Fulham, but I, they just haven't looked anywhere close to Premier League level in terms of their style of play, the players, the coaching. So uh, that's one prediction I'm, I'm still willing to risk uh, my reputation on, but I'm not making any others. Right. Yeah, I, I think some of the only things that I can kind of knock on the wood and feel that our, our firm are uh, Leeds is going to be incredibly exciting to watch. And I, ju- I don't know if they're going to have the consistency, but I'm still struck by how a coach can take average or maybe a little above average players and turn them into legit winners against any team. And, and the Wolves have, were kind of held that position in past years. And I, I think Leeds could end up in that Europa or at least m- middle of the pack, certainly not relegation. That's one thing that feels firm. The other thing is Liverpool still seems to be Liverpool. Today, uh, today's current result, uh, you know, withstanding. Um, you know, the projects we thought, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, are still work, and, and Man U are certainly works in progress, right? Um, I will go out on a limb with Harshell and say, I think Fulham will probably be relegated. But if you look at the teams that haven't taken any points, uh, you're looking at Burnley, Sheffield United, and Fulham. So I'm not, I don't think I'm ready to throw the other teams under the bus yet or in the wood chipper yet. But, um, you know, I'm a little disappointed to see Wolves um, at, at, at 13th place. But, you know, uh, we, we've got a lot of time ahead of us. I'm glad to see some, some fight in West Ham. You know, that's, a, that's kind of a, a neat piece where they were on the wrong side of relegation for some of the time last season. So, uh, and I'm curious to see the all or nothing uh, Tottenham, you know, can they, they, they've certainly made the right commercial sign, signings from a commercial perspective. Uh, will Mourinho be able to bring this team to really where they're ta- true, uh, true up to their actual talent levels? Uh, or are they going to have to go out and spend a little more time on buying up their defense with about 24 hours remaining in, in the, in the window? Um, so I think that's that's kind of where what, what my take is on some of the individual narratives. Uh, I am to kind of get back to the themes we we laid out in previous weeks about systems, the importance of systems and dogma versus pragmatism. You know, even um, it seems like um, Bielsa didn't have a problem with his defenders uh, launching the ball deep uh, just to kind of make sure things are have some flex to it. I'm, you know, Liverpool's already moved into that. Well, we see Pep uh, being okay with Laporte bombing the ball in when Aguero comes back. So that's another storyline that I'm going to continue to monitor going forward. Any thoughts on that or any other trends that y'all are going to be looking for? I'll, I'll just say that uh, if I think this season is going to be one where we're going to see, again, too early maybe, but just on the evidence of the four weeks so far, we're going to see a handful of goals. And for those, again, listening in, obviously you're going to listen after this is, after the game is done, but at the moment, Villa are 4-1 up to Liverpool. So, I don't know what's happening in the leagues anymore. Today has been an absolutely crazy day with that 6-1 and now Liverpool losing 4-1 and apparently their defending has been as bad as United's was against Spurs. So, 
who knows? Who knows what's going to happen this season? Maybe this is the year Everton go on and win the league. Sam, how do you explain that? So many goals being scored this year. What's what's going on with that? How do you explain 2020, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what's new. <laughs> you know, like, but I'm lost for words. Who knows? Yeah, no, it's I, I'm in the same boat. I mean, with my goalkeeper hat on, it's like um, uh, there, I know it's hard for you guys to imagine, but I did have some matches where I had five or more goals scored on me. And to this day, I still don't get how, I mean, I know how each goal happened, but I, I don't know how they all happen in that same batch. And, um, you know, I, I will tell you, thank goodness that we're not having two teams uh, can outright favorites to win the, the league. I mean, there's going to be some drama here, and um, thank goodness, um, because in the last three years, there hasn't been a whole lot of drama at the very top. So um, uh, we've got a couple weeks break. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting time. I think messy and hot messes, we're going to unpack those. Uh we are sponsored by the EPL Perspectives, a 280-page guide of the upcoming season uh, created by 25 writers and designers. Moneyball for football, analytics plus eye candy. Available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Sam, thank you so much. Harshell, uh, thank you so much for today. Uh, we're going to get back to that uh, Liverpool Aston uh, Villa match, and for now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao.